I'm telling you the truth when I say it's really a privilege to be here. You probably have heard of me. I'm a retired pastor who's come to fill in until you get a new one. And when Elder Edge called me, I says, I'll be honest with you, I really don't like to be retired because I wake up on Sabbath morning with no pulpit to preach in and I go through withdrawal. I'm the kind of preacher that when I'm on vacation and I visit a church, I'm hoping the pastor isn't there and someone asks me to preach. And that happened to me one time in Casper, Wyoming. We were camping up in the mountains. We went down to, the, to Casper to church on Sabbath. And someone came up and remembered me when I'd pastored in that state, but never that church. And they said, uh, are you, you are a pastor, aren't you? I said, yes. They said, are you willing to preach? And I thought about it later, and what I should have said, no, not really willing. Eager is a better word. <laughs> but it's good to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I've pastored in Wisconsin for 19 years. I have been gone for about seven or six or seven down to Texas. I want my wife to stand up because I'm going to tell a story about her so she might as well be able to see who she is so she can see her when she blushes. <laughs> the text that Dr. Connor read today, by the way, I've taken advantage of Dr. Connor. When I was pastoring in Sheboygan, uh, every year there would be a group of five students from Malawi that would come to go to college over there. And usually there were two or three Seventh-day Adventists. They weren't picking Seventh-day Adventists to get a higher education. It's just that Adventists are interested in education. And a lot of them came with bad teeth. So I called Dr. Connor and I says, Would you like to do some missionary work without having to leave your office? And he said, Yes. So I, uh, for about a year and a half, almost two years, once a week or a couple times a month, I would bring, bring in uh, students from Malawi, and Dr. Connor gave them free dental care. Boy, they appreciated it. And they had some bad teeth, too, didn't they? Anyway, it's good to be here. I want you to go to Matthew 25. And the one word I want you to look at in Matthew chapter 25 is in verse 12. And it, if you have the King James, it's the third to the last word in verse 12, and it's the word no, K-N-O-W. And I want you to know that there is more to the word no. My wife and I have been married for 45 and a half years, and I found out things about her after I married her that I didn't know before her I married her. How many of you spouses, husbands and wives, found out things about your spouses after you married them that you didn't know before you married them? Anybody besides me? The first time she pulled a practical joke on me, I was surprised. I didn't think she did that. I look back now, and it really was funny, and, but she likes a good practical joke. Uh, the kind of practical joke I like the most is the one that backfires on the one who pulls it, but it doesn't usually happen that way to her. She's pretty smart. But I bought her a card. I don't remember which anniversary it was. It might have been the 30th, 35th, but the card on the front of it says, When I married you, I thought you were perfect. But after all these years, I found out I was mistaken. And then you open it up and it says, you keep improving. Now, how many know that when you get to know God, you will know some things about him, but you don't really know him till you know him. And when you know God, one of the things you will discover is you will never find out anything bad about him, no matter how long you know him, because everything you get to know, the more you get to know him, the more you'll realize God is really, really good. Am I right? 
Now, I have written down in my notes good news and bad news. And in the Bible, how many know that in the Bible there's both good news and bad news? How many know that? Good news and bad news. But at Christmas time, the angels said to the shepherds, we bring you good tidings of great what? And you see that when the angels first appeared to the shepherds, what was their reaction? Does anybody remember what the shepherds' reaction was when the angel showed up? They, the king, I like the way the King James said, they were sore, afraid. They were really afraid. And uh, it often happens when a heavenly being, whether it be Jesus or the angels or someone coming to Abraham and Sarah, their first reaction is to be afraid. When the angel came to Gideon and says, you're a mighty man, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel, Gideon was afraid. And when they are afraid, like the angel came to Mary to announce that she was to be the, the, the mother of the Messiah, what was her reaction when she first saw the angel? She was afraid. And what did the angel say? Fear not. And have you ever noticed that? Whenever a heavenly being comes to a person who is, is, is sincere, a God's person, they will be afraid. And they're always said, don't be afraid. Right? But like I said, there's, in the Bible, there's both good news and bad news. And I have discovered one thing about God. The only reason that God has bad news is trying to get people to pay attention to the good news. Am I right? You read through the Old Testament. <clears throat> and in the Old Testament, you find a lot of bad things happening. The one that, I won't go into all of them, but the one that is, still bothers me, and I may ask God when I get to heaven, though I have a sneaking suspicion when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God... I had a lot of questions, but now that I'm here, they don't seem to matter very much. But there's one I may ask, and that's the one about the poor guy reaching up to study the ark and being struck dead right on the spot. But I do know that it's important that we have respect for God. And if you are not respecting God, then he may let you receive a little bit of the bad news. But I want you to know something. The only reason that bad things happen to people that comes from God is because just he's trying to get your attention so he can give you the good news. Amen? Because when you know God the way he wants you to know him, you'll discover that all the news is good. Amen? Even when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and the good news that Jonah had was not good news. Forty days, you're all going to be toast. But the reason that God gave that bad news, pardon me, <coughs> the reason he gave the bad news is so that they'd listen, so that he didn't have to visit on them the bad news. Amen? Now, I have, I'm always prepared to tell a children's story, but I appreciate the one we had, but i got to tell it right now because it fits the sermon. And if you want to look in Song, Song of Solomon, you'll have a hard time following the story there, but it's kind of based on Song of Solomon. But anyway, here's the parable. It's a story about a young man who was the prince, and he became the king. And I'll tell you some good things about this young man. He was young, he was very good looking, he was rich, of course he was famous because he was the king, and he was single. And all the young ladies, all the single young ladies in that kingdom thought, oh, I wish he would pay attention to me. And they would come around and bat their elongated eyelashes at him and try to get his attention. Oh, one thing I forgot to tell you, he was very smart. And since he was very smart, he knew he had a problem. Because he was single and he was looking for a wife. And he thought, how will I know if she really loves me? Because, you know, I'm the king and I have all this money. And they tell me I'm good looking. 
how will I know if she really loves me? If I was ugly and poor, then I could find a girl, and when she loved me, I would know she really loves me. So he went out to his grandpa's farm, and he borrowed some of his grandpa's shepherd's clothing and a herd of sheep, and he went out disguised as a shepherd. And he went back to the capital city to, and asked some of those girls who were so interested in him when he was the king, and they weren't interested in him at all. And uh, it was a little bit discouraging. He couldn't get anybody to pay any attention to him. And one day he was out herding the sheep, and he took them down to the place to get a drink of water, and it just turned out that there was another herd of sheep getting a drink of water at the same time, and it was this young shepherd girl. And according to you put the story together here and there, she had older brothers, and they made her be the one who took care of the sheep, and they always teased her and told her how ugly she was and told her that no man will ever love you. But she was down at the watering hole with her sheep, and the, the king, disguised as a shepherd, watched her and noticed how gentle she was with the sheep and how much the sheep loved her and how she was gentle with the lambs and everything, and they got acquainted, to make a long story short, because I want to preach about something else, to make a long story short, they fell in love. And it didn't make any difference to her, even though her brother's teased her and says, that's all you're going to do all the rest of your life is take care of sheep. And she thought, well, here's my boyfriend. He's a shepherd. I guess my brother's right. That's all I'll do is take care of sheep. But he seems like an awfully nice fellow, and I love him. And she announced to her family that she had found a fiancé, and they says, oh, some loser. And he probably, when he finds out what you're like, he won't really come back. You're so ugly. But anyway, after the king had found the girl of his dreams, the shepherd girl, uh, he says, I've got to go make arrangements for the wedding. I will call for you. And he took the sheep back to Grandpa's farm, and he went back to the capital city, and the word was out he'd found a wife. Well, fiancé, who's going to be his wife. And all the girls in the kingdom said, oh, it's not me, and they were so disappointed. And the girl who it was had no idea. She thought, that's interesting. The king's getting married, and I'm getting married. But she had not a clue that it was she who was going to be the king's wife. And so the day finally came when the when the king was going to go out and bring his wife to the palace. And the news was that he was going to come to this little bitty town where she lived, a few miles out from the capital city. And she begged her brothers, can I go to town today? Because I see the king come by. I'll never get to see him again. And they said, no, you take care of the sheep. She says, please. She says, I'll, we can use some of the winter hay. I'll help you get some extra hay. I want to go see the king. Well, all right, this one day you can go, but tomorrow you're back out with the sheep. And so she went to town with her brothers and her family. Thank you. And uh, just a second. I want you to know, I didn't catch this cold in Wisconsin. I still had it in Texas. <clears throat> but anyway, she went to town, and they all were craning their necks, watching as off in the distance they could see the, the dust from the hooves of the horses. They were coming down the road. And she was stretching and looking. And as the procession came through town, the king was in his chariot, and the people were looking at him, and he was looking at them. And he finally saw her at the back of the crowd, and he said to the driver, Stop right here. And all the people in town says, Oh, he is stopping in our town. And he got out. He's getting out. And they were kind of, soldiers were kind of making way, and he was headed right for the shepherd girl. And everybody thought, What's he going over there for? And he went right over to her, and he reached out and took her by the hand, and they said, oh, He's holding her hand. And she was a little bit afraid, and she didn't recognize him until he spoke to her, and she recognized his voice, and she says, you're going to get in a lot of trouble wearing the king's clothes. <laughs> no, I'm not, he said, because I really am the king. I was in disguise. And he led her back to the chariot, and the brothers were all saying, who's going to take care of the sheep? But she got into the chariot, they turned the whole procession around, went back to the capital city, and they had the wedding. 
And all of those girls who had been so interested in the king came up to this lowly shepherd girl and said, how in the world did you ever get him to marry you? And she says, I don't know. All I know is my soul has found the one I love and his banner over me is love. And that is a quote from the book of Song of Solomon. Whether this story is all there or not, I don't know. I heard it from Emilio Connectly. How many remember him? Good storyteller. But the reason I told you this story is not just to entertain you. Was anybody entertained? It's a good story. But I want you to notice something. When Jesus comes, originally, he comes in disguised. He doesn't look like who he is. He doesn't look like the king of the universe. When he was born as a baby, the only people interested were just like the shepherd girl. The shepherd's out on the hill. But everybody else, the only one interested was, was the king and because he wanted to kill him. Amen? And I want you to have that thought in your mind. When Jesus comes... The only people who are going to recognize who he is are the ones who have been looking for him ahead of time. Now, we're back in Matthew 25. And you say, well, what's the story, the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins have to do with Christmas? I will show you. You already know the story here. It's Matthew 25, verses 1 through 12. And so you know the story. I won't take much time with the story. But you know that the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like this. He told them a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There were ten virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. And they were all waiting for the coming of the king. Amen? So, in a sense, they might have all been Adventists. And since they were Jews, they were Sabbath keepers, so they would have been Seventh-day Adventists. Does that make sense? They, all, they were all expecting him to come. And they were all waiting for the king to come, and he didn't come as soon as they thought he was going to. And those of you who are my age, I mean, I've, I've been a pastor for... Over, well, I've been married 45 years, so I've been a pastor for 40, anyway, a long time. And I can remember preaching about the soon coming of Jesus Christ, and I still believe it. But all the signs I have seen, I remember when we elected the first Catholic president. A lot of you weren't even born then. But how many can remember when we elected the first Catholic president, and we thought, before he's done in his term, we're going to have the Sunday law. How many thought that at the time? And I can remember in 1967, I was in seminary. How many remember what happened in 1967? The big Jewish-Israeli war with a battle of Armageddon is going to start. And I can remember in 1973 when the price of gas went from 35 cents a gallon to a dollar a gallon overnight because of the Arab oil crisis and the war that was going on over there. And we thought, this is it. Of course, a lot closer to that, 911. Anyway, all kinds of things happened. Now, these... Young ladies, these ten young ladies, had been watching the signs saying he was going to come soon. And he didn't, and he didn't, and he didn't. And they kind of fell asleep. All of them, even the wise ones, fell asleep. And then they heard a shout, here comes, here comes the bridegroom. And they got up, and they went to light their lamps. And the, the uh, wise ones had extra oil. They put it in, their lamps lit. And the foolish ones went to light their lamps. They didn't have any oil. They didn't have any oil. Now, there's something about this story that I don't like. At least I didn't like until I understood it. But the foolish ones went to the wise ones. And they said, give us some of your oil. And the wise ones said, not so, lest we run out, go get your own. And I thought, I don't like those wise ones. And I thought, how can these be the ones who are going to go into the wedding? These are the saved people. Aren't we to share our faith? And I look at Moses, and I see that when God said, I'm going to destroy the Israelites, and I'll raise up a nation you, and he says, Lord, blot me out. And I look at Jesus, and Jesus was willing to take the chance of being forever lost so that he could have the chance to save us. Amen? 
And I look at those five wise virgins and I thought, if they really had Jesus in their heart, and here's someone who looks like they're going to be lost, and they're coming and say, share with me what you have so I can be saved, it would seem to me that saved people would do anything they could to share with them. Does that make sense to you? How many are a little bit mad at the wise ones? Well, you know you're not supposed to be because they're the ones who went to heaven. But if, if this was just a regular story, how many would be mad at them? They would look selfish, wouldn't they? Go get your own, you know? We've got ours. We got ours. You didn't get yours. It's not our fault. Go get your own. And as I got to looking at that and realizing that people who are just about ready to go to heaven are not going to be that way. But since this is a parable, the conclusion I came to is that perhaps oil here represents something that you cannot share even though you would like to. We know we can share our faith. We know we can share our relationship with Jesus. But there's something about a relationship with Jesus that if you don't get it yourself, you won't have it. Now, a few weeks ago was Thanksgiving Day. How many remember the story they used to tell around Thanksgiving about the pilgrims coming over and celebrating? And I'm not going to tell that story, but there were three people. Uh, Priscilla, how many of you heard that Priscilla came over on the Mayflower? And John Alden and Captain John Smith. Anybody ever hear that story? When I was going to church school, we put that play on. And what it was is that Captain John Smith had a crush on Priscilla and was really hoping that Priscilla was like, but he must have been shy around women. And he had a good friend, John Alden, and he just couldn't get his nerve up. So he said to his friend, John, would you please go talk to Priscilla and tell her I love her and I want to marry her? And I'm sure John thought, huh? Do it yourself. No, please, he said. I just, so John Alden went to Priscilla. How many remember this story? What did Priscilla say to John Alden? I just want to see if you know the story. What did Priscilla say to John Alden? Speak for yourself, John. All right. In other words, and they wound up, she married and wound up marrying John. And I'm very glad for that. You want me to tell you why I'm very glad to that? I have an aunt who really is into genealogy. And if that, if John hadn't married Priscilla, I might not be here speaking to you today because my aunt says we're related to them. How many are really impressed now? Hmm? I'll have to check when I get to heaven, look over the records if they have them. But anyway, you cannot fall in love with someone on behalf of somebody else. You either fall in love with someone yourself, you get to know them yourself, or you don't fall in love at all. Amen? Now we know with a child, for the first nine months, A mother can't eat for her child. But after that, if that child doesn't learn to put the food in its mouth and swallow it and get it down in the stomach and digest and send it out in the bloodstream to the cells and everything, that child will die. Amen? So the conclusion that I come to here is that God has no grandchildren and God doesn't have any in-laws. You are either his child directly or you're not his child at all. Amen? And if you don't find Jesus for yourself, I don't care how close people are around you who find Jesus, there comes a time when you have to make that relationship your own, just you and Jesus. Amen? And the book Desire of Ages, I love it. It says that the love that God has for each one of us couldn't be more than what it is if there was no one else for him to love. God's relationship is with each person as if God did not have to have a relationship with anybody at all. Now, we believe in monogamy in our marriages. But God has enough love that he can be married to each one as if he wasn't married to anybody else. And unless you have that relationship with God yourself, you won't have a relationship with God at all. I don't care who you're married to. I don't care where you sit in church. If you haven't taken time to get the relationship with Jesus Christ yourself, you won't have one. Amen? And what a relief it was when I found out 
that the wise ones weren't really selfish. I'm sure the wise ones wanted to share what they had, but there's something that you cannot share. You have to go to Jesus yourself and get it. Amen? How many feel better about the wise ones now? All right. Now, we always understand from the Bible that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And there's something else about this story that, that bothers me is because the wise ones had the oil, and the foolish ones didn't, and the foolish ones went out to get some. Question, did they get some? Did they get some oil? Yeah, they did. And when they came back, the bridegroom wouldn't, the bridegroom wouldn't let them in. And I thought, the wise ones had oil, and they went in. And the foolish ones went out and got some oil, and when they came back with oil, they didn't get in. They said, well, we have oil now. Why, we can't, why can't we come in? How many of you ever wondered about that? They got it. They had everything. But if you look in verse 12, about the third word, or second word, is the word while. Am I right? How many can see that word there? While. W-H-I-L-I. Did I give you the right verse? I never got to Matthew 25 yet. How many can see the word while there someplace in Matthew 25? And when you're talking about the word while, what are you talking about? Time. Am I right? Now here's the bad news about this sermon. We think the foolish ones ran out of oil. Well, but they did get some. They ran out of time. Right? They ran out of time. Now, the reason I told this story about the the king and the shepherd girl and all this is because of the fact that all those girls who wanted to marry him were like the foolish ones. And when they had an opportunity to know the king in disguise, they weren't interested. Right? And what I see here is that there are people, even Seventh-day Adventist people, who when they talk about the second coming of Christ and puts a little fear in, they think this is the greatest motive. We need to keep reminding people how soon Jesus is coming. And for those who aren't getting ready, we do need. That's, for people who aren't ready, it's the bad news that he's coming soon, right? But I already told you God uses bad news to get us interested in the good news. Amen? But it looks like the foolish ones. It looks like the wise ones. Before the fear came, they were getting well, they were getting a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's what no means to be so close to someone that you know what they're thinking before they say it. And my wife are that way. Let me tell you a little bit about my wife and I. The first time we went to buy a house, I would see something I liked, she wouldn't like it. We would argue. Then she'd see something she liked, I didn't like it. We would argue. How many think pastors ever do something like that? And after a couple months of, of going around and around like this, we made a decision. We will know it's the right house if we're both enthusiastic about it at the same time without having any argument at all. So if I'd see something I like and she didn't like it, that was it. End of, end of didn't, even, didn't even worry about it. And one day, we were in the realtor's car. We drove up to this house way out in the country. And before we ever got out of the car, we looked at each other. And we says, this is it, isn't it? And it was. Now, I know now what God was doing. It was just for the oil crisis. This was out in Wyoming, and there was oil wells around there. And we were really stretched to the limit with our money. And I didn't want her to have to go to work because we had four little kids. And uh, we bought that house. Eleven months later, the conference asked us to move, and we sold that house to a realtor who owned a bank and made $10,000, which may not be a lot if you'd paid one hundred and fifty. dollars We only paid $26,000 for it, and we sold it for thirty-four. And I thought, two people come to agreement 
Maybe God's leading them both. So you husbands and wives, try to be in agreement because if you both agree at the same time, maybe God's leading you. Now, why did I say that? Because we were getting to know each other. Are you with me? And you see, the wise ones were taking time to get to know God before they were afraid. I'll be honest with you. I know it's right to remind people of the nearness of crime and of Christ, even though it seems I've been put off. Ellen White talks about the nearness. Jesus talks about the nearness. Why? Because people who aren't getting ready need to get ready. And if you don't have Jesus in your heart, the only impulses you have are sinful ones, so he's got to scare you. He's got to give you the bad news to get you to get the good news. Are you with me so far on this one? All right. And the wise ones represent those church members, those Christians, who only get active when they're afraid. And you see, they're not, they don't start getting active because they love God. They get active because they're concerned about their own life. How many are with me there? And I came across something in a devotional book. It was never printed in one of Ellen White's regular books, but it was a devotional book called Lift Him Up, and I forget what page is on, so you're going to have to read the whole book to find this quote. Unless when I get here you call me and I've got it on my computer, which is out in the car. And then I can tell you the page number. But it says this. She says, there are some among us who use the nearness of the coming to Christ to motivate people into good works. This ought not to be among us. How many are surprised? This ought not to be among us. She says, she says the thing that motivates true believers is just love to Jesus. Just present to people how good Jesus is. And if their hearts are converted, they'll come along. Are you with me? So the reason the foolish were foolish is because when they had time to get to know Jesus, they didn't get to know Jesus. And the only time they acted interested in getting to know Jesus is when it looked like, oh, we better, or it's too late. How many know what the word cramming means? Anybody, any students here? I hate to tell you, but I know what cramming means. I had a few classes that I didn't have to cram for. Do you know why? Because I liked the class so much that I was reading ahead. I taught for a year down at Wisconsin Academy. And uh, if I told you the name of this young lady, you'd probably know her, so it might embarrass her, so I won't tell you. But I don't know how many. I probably had 30 students in my class, but I remember two of them. And one of them, it came up to second semester. We'd just come back from Christmas break. And this one student had not turned in any homework all year long, all semester. The first semester hadn't turned in any. And so he, I had to give him an F because uh, 60% of the grade for the semester was the homework. And he hadn't done any. And he only had about 35%. And that's an F. How many know that's an F? You can't make the curve go low enough to get anyway. He couldn't join the junior class, and he was really upset. He wanted to join the junior class, so he went to Mrs. Repet, who was the register at the time. How many of you know Mrs. Repet? How come I can't join the, ter- the You don't have enough credits. Well, how come? Well, because you, you've, you've flunked the Bible. Well, how come? Well, I don't know. Go see Pastor Stauffer. So he comes charging over the dean's apartment. How come you flunked me in Bible? I said, well, here's the grade book. And I said, you didn't turn in any homework. Now, I'd never t- taught before that, so I didn't realize what was happening. He says, if I do it now, can I get the grade? And I thought, yeah, that's the only reason I gave it to you. I want to get the Bible in your head. I don't care what kind of grades you get. I'd be glad to give everybody A's, but I want you to have the Bible in your head. Amen? So I says, if you'll do it now, I'll give you a grade. So anyway, he went and did it, and that stinker. Every time he'd do a lesson, he'd bring it, 
And he says, how many points do I have now? And when he had enough points to get the lowest possible D minus, which you could get your credits with a D minus, then he wouldn't do any more. And I thought, I should flunk you out of general principles. He sounds like a foolish virgin, doesn't he? And you see, Ellen White talks about Christians like that. They are doing what they need to do in order to be saved. You know what Ellen White says about that kind of religion? That kind of religion is worth nothing. They're not interested in loving God. They're just doing enough to get by. And I think, if I'm good enough now, yeah, such religion is worth nothing. I'll preach on that someday. But anyway, I had another student in my class, and it was near the end of the semester. And some of the students were coming to me and saying, can we do anything to raise our grade? You know, from a C to a B or a D to a C. Or and the only thing I was interested in teaching is getting the knowledge in their head. I want them to know God, right? And even though they were doing it for the wrong reason, at least they were, that's why he scares you first. They were doing it for the wrong So I said, if you'll memorize Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. The, Chris, the main Christmas story is there in Isaiah 53. If you'll memorize Isaiah 53 and come and give me the whole thing without looking at it all, there's just 12 verses, I'll raise your grade one letter grade. You know how many students came to get their, letter, their grade raised one by memorizing? One. One. Maybe I should tell you this girl's name. How, th- how many want me to tell you? Th- this girl came, and I said, Corey, her name is Corey Bricker. How many know Corey Bricker? All right. She came and says, I want to do that. And I said, Corey, you already have the highest grade in your class. Because I've been given little extra credit points. There are 1,200 points possible for the semester. You already have 1,350. I don't know what kind of grade I can give you that's more than an A+. I don't care. She says, I want to do it anyway. And she memorized Isaiah 53 and gave it to me. So then she wound up with 1,460 points for the semester, and there's only 1,200 possible. Does that sound like the remnant? And you see, the difference between the wise and the foolish is that the wise really wanted to know God. Amen? They wanted to. They loved God. And doing what God wanted to do and reading their Bible and spending time in prayer was not a chore. It's just what they wanted to do anyway. And the foolish ones were those people who come to church and go through the motions, wondering, have I done enough? And I done enough? But they weren't really getting to know God. Now, there's another place in the Bible you may not know about, but you know there's another place in the Bible about lights going out? It's found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. This is the first of the seven churches. It's called the Ephesian church. And though there are many good things about the Ephesian church, because as you read those verses, Revelation 2, 1 through 6, you'll read those verses and you'll see that God is commending them. They sound like good, solid people. He says, I know your works. And I know that you check out those who say they are apostles and are not and you reject them because you are, their doctrines aren't right. Is it important that we be careful with our doctrines? Amen. And God is commending them for being careful with their doctrines. And it says you have worked hard. And then you get a little farther down in there. After the bad news it says, and you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So what God hated, they hated. And I looked it up and the Nicolaitans were the forerunners of those who say, since you're saved by grace, it doesn't matter what you do. And God hates that. But he says, I have one thing against you. How many know what that one thing is? You have left. It doesn't say lost. It says you have left your first love. Repent and do the first works. Find the first love. Or I will take your candlestick out. So this another. That sounds like the, the foolish ones. Their light went out. Why? It's not because they didn't have the right doctrines. It wasn't because they were working hard. 
It was because of the fact they were not concentrated on the love of Jesus Christ. And that thing I told you from Steps to Christ where it says there are people who are doing what they need to do in order to get salvation, such religion is worth nothing. Now I know where this next one is. It's in Selected Messages, Volume 1. I can't tell you the exact page, but there's a chapter. starts on 349, goes to 354. And I think it's 352 or 53. Write it down. Selected message, volume 1, 352 to 353. And here's what it says. I do have it memorized. It says there are conscientious souls. What's a conscientious soul? They're really trying, see? Conscientious souls, like the ones in Steps to Christ, who trust partly to God and partly to themselves. They do not look to God to be kept by His power, but they trust to watchfulness against temptation and the performance of certain duties for acceptance with Him. I'm going to say that again. Watchfulness against temptation and the performance of certain duties. And I discovered that most of my religion was, here's what I should do, and here's what I shouldn't do. How many recognize that's a big part of religion, right? Here's what I should do, here's what I shouldn't do. And they concentrate on that. But they're not concentrating on knowing God, because it says there are no victories in this kind of faith. I'm quoting, I've got this now. There are no victories in this kind of faith. Such persons toil to no purpose. They find no rest until they lay their burdens at the feet of Jesus. Last text I want you to look at. This is found in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. You're going to hear a lot more about 1 John, but, you know, unless you call the president up and say, we heard this guy's one sermon. 1 John 3, 6 says, are you there? He that abides, is that where it says he that abides in him? Sins not. And I looked at that text, and you know what part I concentrated on? What in the world does it mean not to sin? I tried to figure out what it... It surely couldn't mean what it sounds like because then nobody would be saved because... And I spent so many years trying to figure out how not to sin when what I should have been trying to figure out is how to abide in Jesus because he says that he that abides in him... And you see, the person who abides in Jesus won't even know when he stops sinning. Because in Steps to Christ, it says the closer you get to Jesus, the more sinful you appear in your own eyes. Amen? So, if you ever meet someone who claims to be perfect, you can know right away they're not. Because the only way to be perfect is to be so close to Jesus that that's all you can see is you won't see yourself at all. You know, real righteousness is like cuteness in a child. They know that a cute child can be cute until they find out they're cute. And when they find out they're cute, they lose what makes cute cute, right? It's the same thing with righteousness. When you begin to think of yourself as being righteous, you have lost what makes righteousness righteousness. Because righteousness only comes when you concentrate fully on God. The wise ones were concentrating on God because they wanted to. In his Psalms, I gave you, here's one more text, I lied. Psalms. Now I forget where it is in Psalms. 1611. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And you see, that's the good news, isn't it? Satan wants you to think that being a Christian is just hard and unhappy and sacrifice. But it is. But you're sacrificing because what you're going to get in place of what you're giving up is so much better. And you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to get the better. Because I read about the martyrs. They were being led to be burned, and yet those who watched them going to be burned says these people act like they're going to get married. I think of John the Baptist, them that sail. And uh, 
And the young lady doing her dance, and afterwards the king says, what do you want? She says, I want the head of John the Baptist. He heard him coming down, he saw the sword. I'm not saying there wasn't some fear there, but I'll tell you what happened to John. One moment he was there, they chopped his head off. The very next thing John the Baptist is going to know, his head's back on and he's on his way to heaven. Is that good news or bad news? You're going to hear me talk a lot more about the thief on the cross. But that day that that thief was on the cross, do you know that was the best day of the man's life? Now you'd think, well, that's terrible, you're being crucified. But those Roman soldiers who were working the devil, they brought a lost man, put him right next to Jesus, let him know that the wages of sin is death and it's payday. And he looked at Jesus, and he must have been a Jew because they didn't crucify Romans. He looked at Jesus, and he realized, this is the Lamb of God. All these lambs we've killed all these years, that's who he is. And he said to the other thief on the cross, don't you fear God, seeing you're in the same condition as God? And we indeed justly, see, he recognized he was a sinner. And then he turned to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you see, the Christmas present that Jesus wants to give is what he gave to the thief that day. Amen? Now, we Seventh-day Adventists, when we hear this text right away, we start trying to figure out how to tell people what the word today means. That he was talking about, I'm telling you, in spite of I lost everything today. And that's all right that we do that because we don't want people to think that the thief goes to heaven that day. And we get so involved in the theology, which is all right. But we miss the beauty How many can see the beauty there? What started out to be the worst day of the man's life turned out to be the best day of his life. And I'll bet you, I'll just bet you, the last few hours of that thief's lives were the best hours of his life. Because he knew, I'm going to die in a few hours, and the next thing I'm going to know is Jesus will be back here, and I'm on my way to heaven. Good news or bad news? Jesus only allows the bad news, the crucifixion of the thief, so that he could give the thief the good news. And if Jesus lets you have some bad news, it's only because he wants you to get the good news. And if Jesus comes along and tells you right now you're being one of the foolish virgins and you're seeking me for the wrong reason, you're waiting until you get a little bit scared. I have a sermon called Defibrillator Religion. You keep shocking the heart. I says, if you need to be shocked, then you need a new heart. Because when you have the new heart, you won't need the pacemaker or the defibrillator because you'll be serving God simply out of joy and love and peace and saying, look what Jesus has done for me. Now our closing song is 625, and the title of that song is Higher Ground, though it doesn't sound like a Christmas story. The wise virgins were walking on the higher ground, and the foolish virgins were virgins, and they were like the people in Ephesus, and they were doing right. But God wants us to have a relationship that is higher ground. How many can say amen to that? 625, the Lord Plant my feet on higher ground. I want to have the kind of religion that serves you not out of obligation, not out of fear, but simply I trust you and I know you and you are so good that even when I don't understand you, doing your will is the best thing I can do for me. Amen? Dear Jesus in heaven, help us not to be satisfied with a religion that goes through the motions. Help us not to be satisfied with a religion that reacts to fear but help us to find the higher ground religion in which we love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and we find our greatest joy in reading his word and talking to him in prayer and sharing with other people, look what Jesus has done. Help us, Jesus, to know that you came to this earth to take away the harsh picture that Satan had painted of God to let people know when God is the way he really wants to be. 
He is what Moses heard when he saw your backside on Mount Sinai. Mercy and love and kindness. Help us, Jesus, to let you treat us the way that you died to treat us. And not the way that you will have to if we reject you. I ask this blessing on each of us in Jesus' name. Amen.